If you're visiting with us today, my name is Kyle. I'm the pastor here, and I want to say thank you, as Jasper did earlier, for, uh, for showing up and making us a part of your plans to worship today. Um, you guys are great. So we've got some fun stuff. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew 6. We're going to spend the next few weeks looking at a... Uh, what it, we're going to look at spiritual habits. So we're going to talk over the next few weeks about three different spiritual habits that the Lord has given to us in His grace to us and uh, what that looks like to practice those, those things. And so today I wanna con- I'm going to cover one that's really familiar uh, and then one that maybe you've heard of but never practiced or not practiced very much in your life. I would bet that it's been minimal, uh, minimally practiced in your life, and that's First one is prayer. That's one you're probably really familiar with. And the second one is fasting. That's something we're a little less familiar with, right? So uh, anyway, so we're going to talk about those today. And uh, But before we get to any more of that, let's just pray and kind of settle our spirits before the Lord and ask that He would help us today, because without Him, we're, we're in trouble. <laughs> Father, thank You for today. Thank You for this time together. We dearly love You. Uh, we are honored, humbled to be in your presence today. You are Father, we are your children. And uh, Jesus, it's a privilege to, to come in your presence because of what you've done for us, to sing praises about you, and, uh, and then to talk through some spiritual habits, some things that help us draw closer to the Son of God. And so we ask that as we open these things up, that there be removed from us any spirit of condemnation or or guilt, uh, but Father, that we'll see a, a freedom in a pursuit of Christ, a freedom in the way that we run after Him that's not tied to man-made thoughts or ideas uh, about these spiritual habits, uh, or even some of the things that we may come in here thinking that this series will be about. Just wipe the slate clean, help us to see Your Word for what it is, and to draw near to You through it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, spiritual habits is one of those things, i got to be honest with you, that I'm, I'm a bit terrified to preach on. <laughs> and here's why. Um, it, so many pastors in my life that I've been under have dealt with this in a really harsh manner. Most of what I've seen in church has been a lot of browbeating when it comes to spiritual habits, that you must and you should and you need to be doing this. If you're not doing this, then uh, you're failing in some way, all right? And I get the sentiment behind it. I understand how you could go that direction. The problem is, for me, it's never been very motivational. (laughs) I, I do better with motivation when I'm encouraged to do something and not beaten by something, amen? So I What I want us to see first is why spiritual habits. Why? Why do we have these available to us? Why are we commanded to do these things? What's the purpose behind it? And so I'm just going to kind of, we're going to take a moment to set that up. So I want to backtrack a little and talk about the purpose for these spiritual habits. There's a, a book that I would highly recommend. You may write this in your notes that you get. It's a real small book. I don't know if you like to read. Uh, some of you may not. I encourage you to read. It's the best way we have to learn, probably one of them anyway. Uh, and so there's a book called Habits of Grace. 
written by a man named David Mathis. Uh, and I've found it incredibly helpful. In fact, I will quote Mathis way too much today uh, just to show you how helpful these things are, these thoughts are. So, But in his book, he writes this about God's grace. He says, the grace of God is on the loose. <laughs> Contrary to our expectations, counter to our assumptions, frustrating our judicious sentiment, judicial sentiments, and mocking our craving for control, the grace of God is turning the world upside down. He goes on to say, God is shamelessly pouring out His lavish favor on undeserving sinners of all stripes. Raise your hand if that's you. And thoroughly stripping away our self-sufficiency. Amen. So the, the purpose of developing spiritual habits, a, a practice of good spiritual habits, is to put ourselves in a place where we can receive God's grace more fully. So another name for spiritual habits would be the means of grace. These are a means to receive more of God's grace. Now, like I was saying earlier, I'm not sure what your experience is when it comes to pastors or preachers and spiritual habits or even some of the church. Uh, if you grew up in the Bible Belt, you, you kind of know what I'm talking about. Uh, what your, I don't know what your experience is, but as I remember them being called spiritual disciplines growing up, and I think this is an okay term, but my experience was pretty brutal, at, at least what I can remember. And so now the words spiritual disciplines carries like this negative connotation for me. Uh, maybe you're not the same. That's okay. As a teenager, I can remember sitting under a youth minister and spiritual disciplines would be preached about as a way to um, twist God's arm, if you will, as a way to earn God's favor, to control His blessings. The more you prayed, the more you read your Bibles, the more you worshiped, then the more you would receive from God. And if you could do it more passionately and more publicly than the others, than everyone else, then you'd get an extra blessing. And that blessing was a blessing of favoritism, not from God, but from the youth minister himself. So, like all the other kids in my youth group, I would pray out loud. I would talk about how much I was reading the Bible as much as I could. I would be out in front leading as much as possible all mostly just to fit in, right? But the problem was, there was always somebody who prayed more than me. There was always somebody who read better than I could. There was always somebody who led better than I could. And so I quickly became discouraged. Here's what I learned. Spiritual disciplines seemed like nothing more than a reminder that I wasn't as disciplined or as spiritual than everyone else. And I found that incredibly discouraging. Reading my Bible became a chore, and like most teenagers, I didn't like chores. <laughs> um, it became something I dreaded. So praying began to seem silly to me. I felt like I was in a room by myself just talking to myself, and really when it was for show, it was hard to practice in private because there was no one to show it off to. Leading meant burnout then because I was spiritually uh, a guilt-ridden ridden desert wasteland of a person. <laughs> so I, I carried that mentality for years after that. I, I loved the Lord, certainly. I mean, I had a genuine affection for the Lord, but I couldn't figure out why I lacked the motivation for practicing spiritual habits or spiritual disciplines. And 
And then in recent years, it's coming more into focus. And this is what I want to share with you today. And I think Mathis had a really good quote as I was going through his book. And that kind of sums up the way I feel and what I'm learning. He says, the grace of God is gloriously beyond our skill and technique. Praise God. So what he's saying is, he goes on to say, he says, the means of grace are not about earning God's favor. They're not about twisting his arm or controlling his blessing. As I read that, I was like, whoa, wait a minute. That's not, that's not what I've heard my whole life. But readying, the, gra- the means of grace are about readying ourselves for consistent saturation in the role of his tithes. <laughs> it's colorful language. I like it. As Christians, we should then consider what it means to be consistently saturated by the role of of God's grace tides, what it means to be constantly under that. And so when you, when you hear, like I said earlier, that grace is on the move, what we're saying is that by God's grace, these biblical truths that I'm about to rattle off to you are what's happened in your life. By God's grace, as a Christian, if you're a believer in here, this is what's happened to you, all right? According to Ephesians 1, you were chosen before time and called, that you have been unified with Christ in faith and repentance, that you have been adopted and forgiven, and that you have been justified by God, not of any of your works, but of His grace, that you are now being sanctified, which means you're being made from changed from one degree of glory into the next to look more like Christ, And then one day, you will be glorified in heaven, satisfied forever. These are beautiful things that God has done in your life. Mathis says, this is grace gone wonderfully wild. This is the flood of God's favor in which we discover the power and the practice of the means of grace. So, here's what we're saying. God's grace has been poured out on us. But, but we're not the ones who make it flow. We can't make it flow apart from His free gift. But I, I do believe that we can turn on the faucet. And what I mean by that is, is that this is kind of where the motivation changed for me, okay? That the means of grace became a, those spiritual habits be, begin to change. I begin to look at them differently because now I can, I may not be able to cause grace to fall on my life, but I can go through things, I can do things, I can put myself in the way of receiving more of God's grace. So it's not about forcing God to do something. It's about positioning ourselves in the pathways that He uses to pour out His grace. That would be those means of grace, those spiritual habits. Those are His regular routes for giving grace, and we must place ourselves in them to receive. David Mathis again points out, he says, God has revealed certain channels through which He regularly pours out His favor, and we're foolish not to take His word on them and build habits of spiritual life around them. So what are these spiritual habits? Well, first, it's prayer. Second is His word, and third is the community or the fellowship of the saints, the local church, the big church. So, The purpose of spiritual habits, then, is to train ourselves for godliness. You can write that in your notes if you're taking your notes. To train yourself 
for godliness. This is the great purpose of spiritual habits. It's not about earning something. It's not about getting something. It's about training yourselves to be more like God. The Apostle Paul had many, many people that he influenced, but I've been studying through 1 Timothy um, here lately. Well, I'll finish 1 Timothy. I'm in 2 Timothy now, but in 1 Timothy, I came across uh, in chapter 4, verses 7 through 9, and Paul is talking to Timothy, and here's what he says. It's, it's one that I had known forever, but it just hit me differently. He said, train yourself for godliness. Train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, I'm glad he says some value. That kind of like gives us a reason not to work out, right? I, I like that. <laughs> Proverbs says it's foolish to run unless someone's chasing you. So there you go. Um, that's true, actually. Godliness, continuing in verse 8, he says, For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, Paul says. I think this is incredible. Train yourself for godliness. He's saying be disciplined for growth. Train like an athlete does, but train to become spiritually fit instead of physically fit. To get more of God in your heart, more of God in your mind, which will in turn make you more like God Himself. Bodily training is definitely of some benefit, but godliness, he says, is of value in every way, not only for now, but for eternity. It means something eternally. I like what Mathis says about these spiritual habits. He says, typically the grace that sends our roots deepest Imagine you're a tree, like in Psalm 1, this tree planted beside the waters in which your roots grow down deep and you bear fruit all the days of your lives. Matthew says, typically the grace that sends our roots, roots down the deepest, truly the, the, the grace that truly grows us up in Christ, the grace that prepares our soul for a new day, the grace that produces lasting spiritual maturity and increases the current of our joy streams are the ordinary and unspectacular paths of fellowship, prayer, and Bible intake given practical expression in countless forms and habits. Isn't that true? Isn't that how we typically view Bible reading and prayer and the communion of the saints, the, the community of the saints? It's kind of unspectacular. It feels a bit mundane. It, it, if we're honest... It's hard to be honest. But for honest, it feels like it doesn't really matter. All right? Like Bible reading is just difficult. Prayer is weird. Community of the saints, well, you know, maybe some of you don't really like people, so you're like, I don't really want to commune with the saints. So if these are things that God has gifted us, ways to receive more of His grace, then they must be important. They must matter. They must not be unmattering. But isn't it just like God to use something that we think is insignificant and unimportant as a way to draw us closer to Himself? Isn't that what He does? Doesn't He make Himself readily available? Which means that everybody can do it? 
Everybody can use these means of grace to receive more grace from the Lord. This is what God does. He's not created this grand religious establishment that only certain people qualify for. He has created in Himself a space through His Son, Christ Jesus, where all are invited to come and dine. All are invited into Him. Amen? This is what He's done. And so what's the secret then for developing a desire to form strong spiritual habits? What is it? There's got to be a secret. Well, first, what I'm finding out is the motivation for prayer, Bible reading, and the community of the saints has to be simply to know and enjoy Jesus more. When that becomes our motivation, just to know the Savior and enjoy the Savior more, everything changes about the way you approach those things. Second, I think it's to practice what we know is right. So if the Bible says to do something, to to pray, we'll get into those here in a moment, to read the Word, to commune with the saints, if the Bible's telling us to do this, then we know what we ought to do, therefore we should do it. James says if we don't, that's sin. So to regularly spend time praying, reading the Bible, fellowshipping with the saints and community are things that we know we ought to do. As we practice these means of grace, we receive more of God's grace. So the way to receive more of God's grace is to do the things that He's graced us to do. Put yourself in the way of that. As we practice these means of grace, then we do receive more grace and therefore will grow in our desire to know and to enjoy Jesus more fully through those spiritual habits. But our focus must be on Christ, and here's where we mess up. We put focus on Christ's likeness instead of being like, instead of Christ Himself. Does that make sense? So when Romans 12 tells you to pray, uh, to, to, to be constant in prayer, Romans 12 also says twice that you should not think too much of yourself. Right? I think that's a great warning for us. As Romans 12 walks through what it looks like to live in the body of Christ as people, we'll look at that in week three of this, but as it walks through those things, he's given the warning twice at different times. Don't think too much of yourself. Don't consider yourself greater than you really are. He's <laughs> trying to keep us, try to keep us humble because what happens is, is we start doing things that we know God honors We like to receive the honor that can come with that if we're not careful. And so then the the passion for it becomes Christ's likeness instead of Christ Himself. The means of grace are about receiving Christ Himself, not just becoming like Christ. That's That's a totally different motivation for these things. So these spiritual habits bring about God's grace, which fills us for the pursuit of joy, for the good of others, and for the glory of God unless your focus becomes about yourself and being more like Christ. What, when that happens, we become a lot like the picture I painted of myself earlier. We become guilt-ridden, unmotivated, and spiritually just a desert wasteland. So developing spiritual habits is not about the habits themselves. I mean, we just know what they are, but it's not about those things so much. 
It's about what the habits lead to, and that is a deeper knowledge of Jesus and a more fulfilling enjoyment of Jesus. So these spiritual habits are about growing in our love for Jesus, nothing else. You may write that down in your margin as a help to you. Spiritual habits are about growing in love for Jesus, nothing else. It can't be. It's, it's been that change in motivation that's really had a tremendous impact on my life. The desire for a fuller and deeper love for Jesus comes in response to understanding what Jesus has done for you. All right, so everybody, everybody catch this. The reason we want to grow in our love and affection for the Lord is because of what He's accomplished for us, what He's done for us, namely that God, the Creator of heaven and earth, saw fit to send His Son to die for humanity. Humanity, which had rebelled against Him, disobeyed His commands, and caused His earth, His perfect creation, to break down. Yet God pursues, God loves, and so God sends His Son to live and to die and to be resurrected so that you too can be resurrected spiritually. You can be raised to new life. And you need it. <laughs> we all need it. We all need new life in Christ, if we, especially if we haven't received it yet. Ephesians 2 says that before Christ, you were spiritually dead, that you were following the ways of Satan. <laughs> it, it doesn't really mince words there. It says that you were a son or a daughter of disobedience against God. And so God, by His grace, in response to that, sends His Son, Jesus, to live, to die for us. Then God pours out His wrath on Christ, on His Son, so that you and I can avoid the wrath of God. We avoid the wrath of God by placing our faith in Christ. And so, friend, if you haven't placed your faith in Jesus today then you are carrying a burden that you'll never be able to bear. And you've got a burden on your back that you need someone to alleviate. And you can't alleviate it, and neither can I, neither can anyone in here. But Christ can. And so Jesus is offering Himself to you today as we sang about earlier. And He's saying, come to Me, all who are burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take My yoke upon you. For it is light and it's easy to bear. Friend, if you're not saved, I, I say don't wait. Don't hesitate. If you surrender your life to Jesus today, come to the one who gives true life this morning. Now, that's my spiel on why spiritual habits are important. <laughs> it's to grow in our knowledge and our love of the Lord Jesus. Now, I want to talk to you for a moment and kind of switch gears here. I want to talk about what this looks like practically for us. All right, so you may notice a different tone in me today. This is more, I was telling Jasper, this is kind of weird. I'm not, I'm not going to be preaching today so much as I'm going to be maybe pastoring. <laughs> maybe that's a little different. And so 
I want to talk to you about prayer for a moment. What does it look like? Why do we do it? What's its purpose? And I want us to think through this together. And then when we talk about when we get done talking about prayer, we'll talk about fasting for a moment. But I hope to provide some practical application for you today on how to be more disciplined, <laughs> more habitual in your practice of these means of grace that we have available to us. First of all, if we're going to grow in Christ's likeness, if we're going to grow in our love for the Lord, we must pray. In fact, prayer is a way of life for the believer. It must be. All throughout the Bible, we have examples of people communicating with God through prayer. We regularly see phrases like this in the New Testament. It says in Acts that all these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer. It goes on to say, I mentioned the one earlier to you in Romans 12, be constant in prayer. In Colossians, we see continue steadfastly in prayer. Later, Paul tells us to pray without ceasing. And then Paul tells us again, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. So for the Christian, someone who is training for godliness, someone who wants to fall more in love with Christ, prayer is a way of life. It must be. In his famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, a guy named Jesus, which can be found in Matthew 5-7, through 7, that sermon there, it's beautiful. Jesus says in Matthew 6, 5-8, through 8, he says, and when you pray. So there's no question about it. It's just when you pray. You must not be like the hypocrites. Well, who are they? What do they do? Why, why don't we want to be like them? He says, for they were like Kyle. They love to stand and pray in the churches and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. I threw my name in there. It's not in there, but I, I, that was me. He says, truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Verse 6, he says, but when you pray, again, it's expected, go into your room, shut the door. And pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who is sees in secret will reward you. Verse 7, And when you pray, again, expected, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. So it's okay to drop the these and the thous. It's okay to say, man, God, I really don't know what I'm doing right now. And when I pray it, it just doesn't sound like the people that I hear pray a lot. It doesn't sound the same. You know what Jesus is saying? He's saying, that's okay. When you pray. When you pray. Come to me. When you pray. It no matter what you sound like. Nobody cares what you sound like. Nobody's laughing at you because of how you pray. And if they are, they're foolish. And they need Jesus. Pray for them. When you pray. Just make it a custom. Make it a part of our lives. When you pray. Jesus finishes. He says, don't be like them. He said, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. What a beautiful thing to come to a Father, a Heavenly Father who knows everything that we need before we ask. I'm going to talk a little bit about what that means here in a moment. It's quite incredible. <laughs> Clearly, prayer is a way of life for the Christian, but why? 
David Mathis, in his book, defines the purpose of prayer really well. So well I had to quote it. He says, The great purpose of prayer is to come humbly, expectantly, and because of Jesus, boldly into the conscious presence of God, to relate to Him, to talk with Him, and ultimately to enjoy Him as our great treasure. You know when I find it most difficult to pray? It's when I treasure something above God. That's what I meant earlier by like, there's a lot of times in my life I'm like, man, what does it matter what I pray? Well, to those who truly treasure the Lord, it matters a lot. When we treasure the Father, when we treasure Him above everything else, prayer becomes utterly important. I would have never dreamed of dating Patricia, marrying Patricia, being involved in a relationship now with Patricia without talking to Patricia. Right? I love to spend time with Patricia. It doesn't matter what we're doing. We can, we can be watching a rom-com, which I am... I have to force myself to watch. I'm not going to lie. We can be driving down the road. We can be going to a symphony. We can be going to eat at McDonald's. We can be just together. That's what I love, just to commune with my wife. Do you know that it's a sin for me to value my wife over my value for the Lord? That hurts me. (laughs) It's so easy to value Patricia over everything else in this world. If you've met her, you know, right? Jesus' words in Matthew 6 reveal two things about prayer. Number one, they reveal this, and this is the one that kind of stings a little. They reveal that your private prayer life is the test of your spiritual integrity. You may write that down. I don't think I put that in the notes. Sorry. Your private prayer life is the test of spiritual integrity. Tim Keller says, he's a brainiac. He says, many people will pray when they are required by cultural or social expectations or perhaps by the anxiety caused by troubling circumstances. Right? You you see floods in Houston. You see shootings in Vegas. You see... Uh, World Trade Center tragedy, you see all these things, and immediately what pops up in your news feed? Somebody has changed their profile picture to something that says, pray for blank. All right? It's okay. I'm not knocking this. We should pray in those times. But how often do we pray when it's not those times? Is it just those times that cause us to pray? There's certainly good triggers for prayer. I'm, I'm not knocking that. It's good to pray then. We should pray then. But what does prayer look like when there's nothing outward pressing in on us to pray? It's just communing with the Father. He goes on to say, those with a genuinely lived relationship with God as Father, however, will inwardly want to pray and therefore, therefore will pray even though nothing on the outside is pressing them to do so. So private prayer is a test whether or not we are real. Is God our true treasure? Are we using prayer to impress someone? Maybe to impress ourselves. Private prayer cuts through that fog. It cuts through that confusion. And it helps to show that our relationship is truly with God. Not only does private prayer show who we really are spiritually, it is the means of grace that is essential 
in healing many places that we are broken, broken, needy, lacking, or rebellious. This is what I meant by the Father knows your need before you pray. We don't pray to change God's mind about things. We pray because prayer changes our mind about life. It changes our desires. It helps us see where we're broken and in need. And God knows all of those things. So you've always heard it said that if God doesn't answer yes, then He's answering no or not yet. This is why. Because God is moving our desires to line up with His. Prayer is one of the greatest means of which He will do that. The other is your Bible. We'll talk about that next week. So, Jesus then reveals, I told you He revealed two things. One is that private prayer is a test of your spiritual integrity. The second is He reveals a process. All right, so this is where it gets a little more practical. Jesus reveals a process for us to pray. And He says to go into your closet, shut the door, and pray so that you not be seen. One of the first things He's telling us there is create your own closet. <laughs> now, this doesn't have to look like the movie that came out recently. I don't remember the name of it. Anyway, it doesn't have to look like that. But what I mean by create your own closet is this. Find a regular spot where you can pray. I won't mention any names, but I sat down with one of you fine people that are in here today this week, and I was just picking your brain on prayer, and I asked, you're a seasoned believer? Help this young guy pray better. What do I need to know? What can I tell people? First thing out of his mouth was, create a spot. Find a spot where you can go to and pray. Spot where you're getting away from everything, where there's no distractions. Now, for some of us, this means... this. This could just simply be your coffee table or your kitchen table. It could be a place in your house. It could be kneeling beside your bed. I wouldn't say lay in your bed. You will fall asleep. I've tried it. Uh, it could be anywhere. It could be outside somewhere. It could be at another building. It could be right here in this church. You're welcome to stop by and pray in here anytime you want to. But for all of us, it needs to be a distraction-free place. And so for some of us, that means we pray long before anybody wakes up in our house, which means we discipline ourselves to wake up earlier than everybody. And if that's not feasible, we pray after people go to bed. Maybe that makes it easier. There's lots of ways to work around this, but find your spot and stick to it. Make it something that you enjoy. Another thing I found helpful about finding my spot, uh, to use a different idea of spot, is I lose my spot mentally when I pray a lot. (laughs) I get sidetracked. I start chasing these rabbits. And so there's a, a great app, and I know this won't be for everybody, but it's called Prayer Mates. And you can list prayers in there. In fact, there's predetermined lists that you can put in there if you want to. Oh, there's one that I would highly recommend. It's 18, 18 things to pray for your church. And each day when you open up the Prayer Mate app, you're just going to swipe, and it's going to give you a new topic, a, a new piece from your list that you created to pray for that day. And so you'll alternate praying through different things. Something I found helpful. The second thing about prayer is you want to begin with God's Word. We will talk more about this next week, but here's what I mean by that. If you have a Bible reading plan that you're going through, great, use that. If you don't, just pick up the Gospel of John. I know somebody who's preaching through it right now, and we're about to pick it back up. It'd be a great place to start, right? You can, uh, can read a few verses in John just out loud, slowly. 
and let that help you pray. Pray what you're reading there about Jesus. So one of the first things to do is, God, help me see you more fully in what I'm about to read. Then you read it out loud, maybe that helps me. You meditate on it, you think about it, and then you pray. You just pray about it. The third thing is kind of a, it's a format for prayer. You've probably heard of it. It's ACTS, A-C-T-S. Many of you have heard of this. Uh, It's adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. It's a great model for prayer. It's a way of following the pattern of the Lord's Prayer, in a sense, that you see in Matthew 6. You start with adoration of God. God, you are Father. When we proclaim God as Father, we're saying that we're not Father, that we're not heavenly, that we are His children. That's one way to start. You just start by adoring God for who He is, His Word, His actions, His character. Maybe you just read something in your Bible that would help that. Then you confess, God, I need you to transform me. Either what I read just now, man, that ain't me. (laughs) Help me be that. Or I've got this issue that I'm dealing with. I've got this thing going on in me. I, I, I need you. I'm not God. I need, I need my Savior to work in me. And then you thank Him for His various displays of grace and mercy on your life. That's going to look different for each one of us, but there are aspects of it that are the same. One, if you're a believer, He saved you. We can thank Him for saving us. But then there's individual things happening in your lives that aren't happening in mine, but they're evidences of God's grace and mercy on your life. Start looking for those things and begin to thank God for them. Share them with your home group. Finally, what we come to is supplication. You just begin to ask Him things, request for yourself, for your family, for your church, for this community, for whatever. Praying in concentric circles helps. You start here and just kind of work your way outwardly. I pray for myself, pray for my family, pray for extended family, pray for church family. You see what I'm saying? You just work your way out. Maybe that'll help. The fourth thing about prayer is you, you reveal your desires, but then you develop new desires. So I want to pour out my desires to God. Here are things that are on my heart. And as I'm pouring those things out, I'm going to trust Him to transform me. Either confirm that thing in me or or change that thing in me to where I line up with Him. Prayer changes you in a way that nothing else changes you. I think it's why we find it so hard to pray. I think the enemy knows this. One of the great powers in prayer is the changing of our own hearts and our own minds. Fifth, one of the final things I would offer is keep it fresh. Keep it fresh. If your spot begins to feel spotty, (laughs) change it up. Pick a new spot. If the time isn't working for you anymore because you've got a small child in the home now, change your time. Find different ways to keep prayer fresh. Prayer is worth guarding. It's worth keeping fresh. Uh, A final thing I would offer about prayer is not really so much about practical application for private prayer, but application for praying in public or with people. So even though developing private prayer is what we want because that's going to be our way to enjoy Jesus, 
Public prayer should not be avoided. It is good and right to pray with others about their needs in life. And I promise you, if you'll pay attention in life, you will begin to see so many opportunities throughout your life to pray for other people. Now, this will happen in your home groups. This will happen in church on Sunday. This will happen uh, in restaurants as you're talking to someone. It'll make people, people have a proclivity, for whatever reason, to, to just pour their hearts out to Patricia and I. It's weird. I mean, I enjoy it, but it's just it's bizarre that they find it. And maybe you're this way. You, just, you talk to ask a, a person checking you out at Walmart, you know, what? How's your day going? Oh, it's terrible. You know, they just begin to rattle everything off. It's like, man, it's deep stuff. Let me, let me pray for you. Y'all hold on a minute. We're going to pray. Um, you know what I'm saying? Like there's, there's so many opportunities to pray for people. You may get a text. Somebody saying, man, I'm having a really bad day or this is going on. Maybe you pick up the phone and call them. Or in the very least, just I'm praying for you right now. And when you tell somebody you're praying for them, pray for them. <laughs> this is not something we say in the Bible Belt just to make people feel better. Let's pray for people. Let's trust God to act and to move and to be big and to be amazing because that's what God is. He's amazing when we ask Him to be, when we want Him to be, when we're, when we're coming to Him and we're trusting Him. Pray with people. Grab them by the hand and I... I mean, you don't have to. That may freak them out. But just say, hey, can I pray for you? Uh, if you're close to them, maybe you can grab them by the hand. It won't scare them. And then pray for them. Praying for someone is, in person is a tremendous privilege given to us by God. It blesses not only you, but the person you're praying for. Um, and that same guy I was talking about earlier, he said the relationship, when you pray for someone, it just changes. It becomes far more meaningful, even if you don't see them very often. Just to know that you prayed for them. I got to pray with a guy the other day. Um, he's just got a lot going on. And I, we stopped in Flying Burger, and I just prayed for him. And, and after I got done, he was just in tears. He said, man, thank you so much for praying for me. Now, I could have said, man, I'll be praying for you and just see you later. But stopping and praying for him just meant the world to him to know that somebody would, would take the time to do that. So y'all do it. All right, real quick, let's wrap this up. Fasting. This is the one that's difficult. Fasting is also a way of life. It it. It's coupled with prayer. Fasting is a, is a habit with prayer. And the reason I want to bring this up is because starting Wednesday, we're going into 21 days of prayer and fasting. All right, so fasting is going to look different for all of us. You can fast whatever, whatever you want to fast. But let me give you some things about fasting. For the Christian, Fasting is this. Fasting, is, as Mathis defines it, is an exceptional measure designed to channel and express our desire for God and our holy discontent in a fallen world. It goes on to say it is for those not satisfied with the status quo, for those who want more of God's grace, for those who are truly desperate for God. All right? So who should fast? Everyone. <laughs> Can we be honest? I, I just want to know, all right? How many of you have ever fasted a, a thing, a day at all in your life? Just raise your hand. It's okay if you haven't. All right, cool. That's actually more than I thought. That's great. So Matthew 6, Jesus assumes, just like he did with prayer, that you're going to fast. 
In fact, he got in trouble. Him and his disciples got in trouble later on in the Gospels because they weren't fasting. And the Pharisees came to him and said, why are you and, the, and, and your disciples not fasting like the rest of us? And he said, well, there will come a day when you will need to fast, but right now, while the bridegroom is here, we feast. <laughs> I love that. So, but now we live in the time between Christ. We live in the already and the not yet, right? We're not in heaven. So we fast now to prepare ourselves for the feast later, for that feast that is to come. Here's what Jesus says in Matthew 6 about fasting. He says, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. I don't know if that's hyperbole or not, but I think that's pretty hilarious. Just walk around. I mean, I, I do this when I'm sick, right? I was telling my son the other day, like when you get sick as a man, you can have a cold, and that's worse than giving birth, buddy. I mean, that's, that's awful. That's difficult, you know? I mean, mama don't know pain like a common cold, so I was telling him that. I was like, when you get sick, you just want mama. That's all you want, so... Anyway, I can just imagine walking around disfiguring your face so that everybody sees how, how much pain you're in from fasting. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward because people are patting them on the back. Oh, way to go! You're fasting! God, you look foolish. Um, but when you fast, he says, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So we do it as a way... Commune with the Father in private. But there's all kinds of fasting throughout the Bible. There is communal fasting, like what we're about to go into, where we're inviting people to join us in a fast. I'm going to give you a few things to be praying for while we're doing that here in a moment. But this is what we're doing. We're inviting people to fast with us. But there are seasons of your life that you'll go through where you'll be like, man, I, I need to fast. I need to put down something. Food entertainment, something, and take a break from that to spend time with the Lord. Maybe it's why you're trying to make a decision. Maybe it's why you're believing the Lord for the salvation of a loved one. It's, it's all kinds of things. There's all kinds of reasons to fast here. I'll give you some. Donald S. Whitney in his book, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life, an oldie but a really goodie, says... And these are all things that are seen first in the Bible, so this is not just man's wisdom. But he put it together in this list. He said, fasting should happen for these reasons and during this, these seasons. Strengthening prayer, seeking God's guidance, expressing grief, seeking deliverance or protection, expressing repentance and returning to God, humbling yourself before the Lord, expressing concern for the work of God throughout the world or in your life, ministering to the needs of others, overcoming temptation and dedicating yourself to God, and expressing love and worship to God. Those are some of the reasons and seasons you may fast. So fasting is for everyone at any season of life for multiple reasons. All right, so now that we got that out of the way, let me help you fast. Let me give you some practical points here, and I'd love to talk further about this. We just don't have much time. How can we fast successfully? Number one, plan what you'll do instead of consuming what you're fasting. So whatever you're giving up, plan what you'll do in that space. Plan it. Don't get to that time of the day and say, uh, 
Do I want this cheeseburger or do I want to pray? <laughs> All right? Plan it. Do I want to binge on Netflix? Do I want to pray? Do I want to hang out on social media for hours and see what somebody's cat is up to and what food somebody had this week? Or do I want to pray? <laughs> Fasting isn't just about sacrificing something you enjoy. It's a spiritual habit for seeking more of God's fullness. So, you plan to pray, to read your scriptures, to meditate, to worship. Many other things can be done during that time instead of consuming whatever it is you're giving up. Now, without a purpose and a plan, you're not fasting. You're simply dieting or starving or just giving one thing up to take on another habit. <laughs> okay, so be careful. We want to fast just to say we're fasting. Just say, yeah, I did 21 days of prayer and fasting. Number two, fast from something other than food. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, fasting should really be made to include abstinence from anything which is legitimate in and of itself for the sake of some special purpose. Some special spiritual purpose, sorry. So fasting food is not going to be for everyone. There could be serious health limitations for someone in that, okay? So take those into account for you. If that's you, you're like, I can't, I just can't go without food. I've got health issues. Or you just say, I can't go without food. I need to do something different. Start feeling sick. Um, you can do that. You can start small. Um, so we should consider fasting other things too. I mentioned TV, social media, your computers, some other form of entertainment you enjoy. Maybe it's hunting. <laughs> All the guys are like, no. Um, maybe it's crocheting, knitting. I don't know what women like to do. You know, I'm just kidding. Number three, don't think of fasting like a big old white elephant. All right, here's what I mean by that. When you start to crave what you're abstaining from, don't think about just abstaining for the sake of abstaining. Don't will yourself to not give in to the various feed me signals that your body's going to send you. Don't be content to just dwell on that thing. All right, I've done this when fasting. It's like, oh, I'm not going to eat lunch this day. And then I get to that time, it's like, no, I'm not eating lunch, not eating lunch. And I'll spend my whole time just convincing myself I'm not going to eat lunch. It's not helpful, all right? Doesn't, doesn't do anything. But, as Mathis points out, if you, make it through, if you make it through fasting with an iron will that says no to your desires, whatever it is you're trying to give up, but it doesn't turn your mind's eye elsewhere, then it isn't true Christian fasting, all right? Christian fasting turns its attention to Jesus always. It's what prayer is meant for. It's what fasting is meant for. All of these things are meant to roll up our affections to Jesus, to take them off of something that we just genuinely enjoy and are probably good and right things. They're not evil things. But it's to roll that affection for that thing up, up to Christ. So Christian fasting turns its attention to Jesus always. It'll take its attention from the hunger for that thing to whatever it is you're petitioning God for. Maybe it's overcoming a sin. Maybe it's making a decision. Maybe it's the salvation of someone or just a genuinely deeper desire for Jesus. Amen. I hope that these two little 
weird little instances we've had this morning for me on prayer and fasting are helpful for you. Now, let me ask you to do this. Don't put your pens up yet. Or if you haven't had one out, please grab one. (laughs) Here's three things I want you to pray for for New Life Church during this time and really this year, but specifically during this time. Number one, pray that the Lord would give us some more elders. And I don't mean old people. <laughs> All right? I'm talking about biblical, godly men, elders like we see in 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1, men who will lead the church well. All right? We had a, a bit of an exodus of sorts just due to um, life situations changing, changing. So we lost two great elders last year about this time, Matt Green and, and Seth Penner, both switched jobs. And those jobs cause them to need to take a step back. I pray that we get both of them back soon and very soon. <laughs> um, but for now, that leaves Jasper and I. And uh, we do okay. <laughs> and we lean heavily on our deacons. We lean heavily on our finance team um, for any decisions, anything that's going on. So we're not out on an island per se, but we, we don't want it that way. We don't want to remain two elders, Okay. So pray that the Lord would supply people. We've got some guys picked out, some guys we've tapped on the shoulder. I'm not going to mention their names yet. I will when the time is right. Um, but y'all be praying that the Lord gives them, uh, that they see the call. If the call is there, that they see it and follow it and that the Lord guides us all in that. Amen? Number two, there's some decisions that need to be made about our building. All right, and we, we're kind of wrestling back and forth. We've got a, a building team of, of great people. And uh, so we've been thinking through what is, what's, our, what's our need? We know what our needs are. We need more kids' space, right? Any children's workers in here are like, amen, yeah. Um, we need more kids' space. We need, we need some more space for different reasons, not so much in here, but in other parts. So we're looking at... Uh, possibly an expansion. We're looking at options is really where we're at. Uh, So please be in prayer for wisdom uh, for that building team, for the elders, for the deacons that are involved in that process, for the finance team as decisions need to be made. Uh, Please be in prayer that God give us wisdom. Uh, We do really well at stewarding your finances. We're keeping that in mind. We want to keep doing that, okay? We're not going to make any dumb decisions financially. Uh, but it's hard to do stuff cheap, and that's why we're 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 wrestling about this. Uh, so y'all pray for us. Pray for wisdom. Amen. Number three, most important, save the best for last. Pray that God would continue to pour out His grace on this church. And what I mean by that is we have seen good things in the life of this church. This church is nine years old this month. Uh, It's been through a lot in nine years. Um, But what has never, what has never not been in view is God's grace on this church. Even when things were bad, even as things have been good, even when things just feel normal. (laughs) God's grace has been on this place and I'm so grateful for it. But here's specifically what what I'm asking for. Pray that God would continue to grant us the grace to glorify His name by making disciples who grow in their faith in Jesus and their love for one another.
that mission statement's written on the front of your worship guide. If you just want to circle that real big and put it on your bathroom mirror and just pray for that each morning while you're brushing your teeth, I would appreciate that greatly. Uh, that's what we're here for. Amen? Amen. Nod your head if this has been helpful. Nod your head if you need to wake up because <laughs> it's been boring. Um, love you guys dearly. Next week we're going to talk about the Bible. Talk about how to read it, how to think about our Bibles, all those things. And so uh, I pray you'll be here for that. Week three we'll talk about um, the community or the fellowship of the saints, uh, what that looks like. And then on the last week of this month, we're just going to go over that mission statement together. We're going to talk about what that looks like for us this year and um, how that plays itself out. Amen? I love you guys. Y'all stand to your feet.